welcome to Lessons for Living Television. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. The Huffington Post Canada asked, where did human beings come from? Did we start as single cells millions of years ago and evolve into our present form? Or did God create us in his image some 10,000 years ago? Well, in a survey by Angus Reid Public Opinion, it seems the answer to this scientific or religious question is not quite settled. See, according to the findings, 61% of Canadians and 69% of Britons think that human beings evolved from simpler life forms, while just 30% of Americans agree. 51% of Americans, meanwhile, think God created people in the past, some 10,000 years ago, and that belief is commonly referred to as creationism. Now, that is only shared by 22% of Canadians and 17% of Britons. The remaining respondents, well, they just say we're really not sure. Across all three nations, Canada, the United States, and Great Britain, males were more likely than women to believe in evolution, while females expressed a stronger belief in creationism. Now, regional differences exist also for each belief. The Huffington Post cited these statistics. They said in British Columbia, 22% of the population believes in creation, while 62% believe in evolution. In Alberta, 48% believe in evolution, while 35% believe in creation. Manitoba, Saskatchewan, 54% believe in evolution, while 24% believe in creation. In Ontario, 60% in evolution, 24% believe in creation. In the province of Quebec, 71% believe in evolution, and 13% believe in creation. And in the Atlantic provinces, 58% believe in evolution, while just 27% believe in creation. Now, the Bible opens with this monumental statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And with that very statement, the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, affirms the existence of the universe and everything that is in it as a product of God's created act. You see, according to the Bible, what exists, exists not because it evolved, it exists because God created it. Now, I understand that there may be some watching, maybe many watching, that don't agree with that statement. Now, I happen to believe in the Genesis creation story. Now, full disclosure here, I'm not a scientist. But today I wanted to share with you why I believe this. The creation account is laid out from Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-3. The outline of the book of Genesis essentially falls into two parts. The first part is the creation, Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-3. The second part is called the generation, starting in chapter 2, verse 4. You start to follow what we would call sort of the history of man. Genesis 1-1 tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. You really can't make a broader statement than that. That covers everything. 
that's a way of saying God created everything in the universe, everything that exists, whether you're talking about galaxies or you're talking about solar systems or you're talking about those things that are the farthest reaches of the universe in space or whether you're talking about the smallest grain of sand, everything, every law by which nature operates was created within the framework of this creation. All things. Now, when it says in verse 1, in the beginning God created, it uses the Hebrew word bara. C.F. Keel stated that when bara is used in the qual stem in Hebrew, as in Genesis 1.1, then he says it always means to create and is only applied to divine creation, the product of that which had no existence before. Now that means basically that the infinite God, the God of the universe, brought things into existence which were not in existence prior to this moment. The Latin says, creatio ex nihilo, creation is out of nothing. That means there was no pre-existing material. Uh, let me show you something we find here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. It says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This, the point of this key verse on creationism is that visible material, substances, did not exist in any form whatsoever other than in the mind of an omniscient God until he spoke the creative word. Now, according to Genesis 1, how did God create? What methods did God use? Well, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, here's what we read. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So how did God do this? What was his method? The Bible says, he spoke it into existence out of nothing. Raymond Sorberg noted, the Genesis record nowhere even hints that eons or periods of time are involved. Instantaneous action seems to be what the writer stresses. The 33rd Psalm, beginning at verse 6, says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Romans chapter 4, verse 17 says, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Do you see? The Bible says creation is God calling into existence what does not exist. There was no pre-existing material and nothing is in existence that God didn't create. John chapter 1, 
verse 3. There we read, All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. See what it says? It says there isn't anything that exists that God didn't create. Now, that's a very clear scripture. Now, another point from Genesis 1 is that all creation began and ended in six days. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. You see, here the Bible says God created the entire universe out of nothing from no pre-existing material, and he did it in six days. Now, verse 8 says there was an evening and a morning on day 2, and verse 13 says there was an evening and a morning on day 3, and it goes all the way down to verse 19. There was an evening and a morning, day 4, verse 23. There was evening and there was a morning on day 5, verse 31. There was evening and there was morning on day 6. It's just talking about six normal, common days, like we understand days to be. Now, Raymond Sorberg noted, the Genesis record nowhere even hints that eons or periods of time are involved. Instantaneous action seems to be what the writer stresses. Moses, who wrote the Genesis account, later recorded that the Israelites were to observe the seventh day, a literal day, as a Sabbath. The reason for being, for in six days, God made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, Exodus 20, 11. Now, some have suggested that the earth gives an appearance of billions of years old. Well, that seems to depend on who's doing the observing. Scientist Walter E. Lamertz declared that were it not for my belief in the truth and literal interpretation of the Genesis account, I would have great difficulty in believing that the earth was even 6,000 years old. Actually, from the strictly scientific point of view, most of the surface features of the earth give the appearance of being far younger. Now, the other observation is that even a new creation would have the appearance of age. Now, Henry Morris has spoken to this point, and he says, necessarily these created entities must, at the instant of their creation, have had an appearance of age. He goes on to say, this is most obvious in the case of Adam and Eve, who were created as mature individuals, but it must also have been true in the case of all other objects, both animate and inanimate. A global flood also could have impacted the accuracy to which one could date the Earth. Evolutionist Emanuel Velikovsky admitted that if great catastrophes occurred on the surface of the Earth and in the depths of the seas, of more than a local character, then 
the time allotment involved in the so-called geological time scale is without validity. So how did God create? Well, he spoke it into existence. And he did it in six days, six literal days. Now, people say, well, what about the word day? Can't it mean something else? Well, it's plain that the old Hebrew word yom, it means day. It's used in the Bible to indicate a 24-hour normal day. Now, you may be asking, why would God take six days? Why didn't he create in six minutes or six seconds? Well, the answer is he took six days because he wanted to establish a pattern. In Exodus chapter 20, he gives us the pattern. Look at what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see, God wanted to establish a pattern for mankind. And that pattern was this. You work six days and you have one day, the Sabbath, that you set aside to rest and replenish your body and to focus on worshiping God. Now, if in fact it took God billions of years, then that pattern is ridiculous. Now, some may have suggested that the Genesis account of creation is poetry, and thus it can't be taken as a historical fact. You see, the style of the writing of Genesis is not consistent with Hebrew poetry. Noted scholar Edward J. Young commented. He said, Genesis 1 is not poetry or saga or myth, but straightforward, trustworthy history. That Genesis 1 is historical may be seen from these considerations. One, it sustains an intimate relationship with the remainder of the book. The remainder of the book presupposes the creation account, and the creation account prepares for what follows. The two portions of Genesis are integral parts of the book and complement one another. And second, he says, the characteristics of Hebrew poetry are lacking. There are poetic accounts of the creation, and those form a striking contrast to Genesis chapter 1. Another important point that speaks to the legitimacy of the Genesis account of creation, well, at least to me, is that Jesus held this same view of the origin of the world. Now, while discussing marriage and divorce in Mark chapter 10 and verse 6, notice what Jesus says. He says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. 
You see, here Jesus plainly affirmed there was a creation. The first humans existed from the beginning of the creation. This cannot be harmonized with the evolutionary notion that the earth existed for billions of years before man evolved. The first couple was made, stressing the fact that this original couple came into existence by single acts of creation. They were male and female right from the beginning. Now, some writers have suggested that Jesus did not really accept the authority of Genesis. Rather, he merely accommodated himself to the ignorance of that age. Now, if Jesus was that deceptive, then I would have a hard time accepting that he was truly the Son of God. On the other hand, if Jesus believed the Genesis account, yet was mistaken, well, then surely he's not the Son of God. That's what he claimed to be in John 17, 5. He claims to have been with God prior to the creation of the world and therefore would know how the world came into existence. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I want you to know that there is no way in one message, 30-minute program, that I either can disprove evolution or prove creation. As I said at the beginning of this program, I'm, I'm not a scientist. But I think it's important to note that this debate is not between fact and faith. The debate is not between science and religion. The debate, for me anyway, is between faith in God and faith in evolution. You see, any objective observer has to conclude that whether you believe in the biblical worldview of creation or the evolutionary worldview of creation, you still have to have faith. Sir Fred Hoyle, an internationally recognized astronomer and, and mathematician, one of Great Britain's foremost scientists said that the chance of life coming from non-life is about 10 followed by 40 zeros. He says, a junkyard contains all the bits and pieces of a Boeing 747 dismembered and in disarray. A whirlwind happens to blow through the yard. What is the chance that after its passage, a fully assembled 747 ready to fly would be found standing there? You see, that takes faith. Now, you might be watching me thinking, so what if I want to believe in evolution? What's the harm? Whether we are the accidental byproduct of a random, purposeless process, or we have been created in God's image with the purpose by His design, what's the difference? What does it matter? The reason is this, it's important. You see, is your starting point, wherever your starting point is, that's what's going to determine your concluding point. If we are ultimately the byproduct of time, chance, and random processes, then regardless of what else one says, then we are really worthless creatures. But 
if we were created by God himself, then we're special. William B. Provine is a university professor at Cornell University. He's a professor in the Department of History, Science, and Ecology, and Evolutionary Biology. He is an atheist, an outspoken critic of int intelligent design, creationism. He is well known for engaging in debates with theist philosophers and scientists about the existence of God and the viability of intelligent design as a theory to explain the mechanisms of evolution. He said, evolution is the greatest engine of atheism ever invented. Naturalistic evolution has clear consequences that Charles Darwin understood perfectly. One, no gods worth having exist. Two, no life after death exists. Three, no ultimate foundation for ethics exists. Four, no ultimate meaning in life exists. And five, human free will is non-existent. He continues, as the creationists claim, belief in modern evolution makes atheists of people. One can have a religious view that is compatible with evolution only if the religious view is indistinguishable from atheism. See, can I tell you the problem in believing evolution in a nutshell? It's this. When God loses his preeminence, we, humans, we lose our significance. You, you see, to me, this is a battle over more than just science because when evolution is taught, that view will bleed over to ethics, to law, to education, to morality, to theology, and to philosophy. It's like a cancer in the bloodstream that will affect every vital organ of the culture. The 19th Psalm, verse 1, says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. You see, the Bible makes no bones about it. It says this world was divinely designed. Is this planet, in this universe, just accidental? Is it accidental that the inexhaustible envelope of air, only 50 miles deep, has exactly the right density to support human life, or that water expands when it freezes, while other substances contract, which makes ice lighter than water, and keeps it floating on the surface. Otherwise, lakes would be solid ice down to the bottom, and no fish could survive. Is it accidental that the earth is tilted so that we get four different seasons? Is it accidental that the sun's fire does not generate so much heat that we fry, but just enough heat that we don't freeze? Now do this, if there's someone sitting next to you, look into their eyes. The eyes need about 130 million light-sensitive devices to cause a photochemical reaction that transforms light into electrical impulses that go to your brain. Every second, 
One million of these impulses are zipped to the brain through the optical nerve system. That eye? That eye can handle 1.5 million simultaneous messages. When exposed to darkness, it can increase its ability to see by 100,000 times. And 137 million nerve endings pick up every message the eye sends to the brain. See, you and I are not just a collection of atoms and molecules that just happen to come together by fate or by chance. We were born on this earth physically that we might be born again spiritually so that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can serve, know, love, and live forever with the God that created us. Let us pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us, for demonstrating that love by sending Jesus to die on the cross. Father, I pray for each and every viewer. May their faith increase. May they see you as the creator, the sustainer, and the Redeemer of life. Bless each and every viewer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we do every week, we always have a little gift for you, and we try to give you a resource to help you in your understanding of the topic we have presented. Today, I have this great little book. It's called Creation and Evolution, a thoughtful look at the evidence that a master designer created our planet. It's written by Dr. Dwight K. Nelson. It is a wonderful book, and we'd love to give it to you as a gift from Lessons for Living Television. If you'd like a copy, here's the information you need to get one. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living Television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number at 1-800-972-0337. Well, we've come to the end of another program. Let me thank you for taking the time to join us. We appreciate that. When you're calling in to order your gift, have a little bit of patience. Can't always get to the calls. We have volunteers doing that, and so just show a little bit of patience. And sometimes I'm out of the country, and it takes us a little bit of a little bit of time to get those offers out to you in the mail. Be patient. Don't hesitate to contact us and say, "Hey, listen, I'm still waiting on my gift," and remind us of what it is. Uh, we're we don't take offense to that because uh, sometimes we forget. We're a small organization that relies on volunteers in order to make this thing work, and so. Just have some patience and we'll get everything out to you. Remember the websites, l4ltv.com. And let me introduce you to the Mission Now Canada website, missionnowcanada.com. That is the branch of our organization that does mission work. And we do mission work in the Philippines and Paraguay and different places. Check that out. If you've never been on a mission trip and you want to join us, Join us, come. If you'd like to donate to a special mission project, 
Um, on the website, you can find all of that information. On the L4LTV.com website also, there's a Donate Today tab. We appreciate your prayers, but we also would appreciate your financial support so that we can keep this ministry on the air. Well, we look forward to doing this again next time. I hope you will join us. God bless you. We'll see you back here real soon.